Chicago is home to world-class cultural institutions like the Field Museum, Art Institute, and Chicago Symphony Orchestra, grand buildings filled with immaculately displayed objects. One of the city's newest museums has a decidedly different approach. So this is my drum kit. Um, Killing Joke Ministry, Nine Inch Nails, Pig Face. I have failed to destroy that drum kit in the last three decades. I'm like, I challenge anybody to have a go ahead, you know. Welcome to the Museum of Post-Punk and Industrial Music, located in an undisclosed, nondescript building on the south side of Chicago. And today I'm being given a tour by its creator and curator, Martin Atkins, who spent decades playing in bands like Public Image Limited, Nine Inch Nails, Killing Joke, Ministry, and founded Pigface, a supergroup featuring hundreds of collaborators. He's a bit of a punk rock mad scientist. This is the Museum of Post-Punk and Industrial Music, um, which I started 18, 19, 20 months ago here in Chicago, which I think you would argue is the home of industrial music, for sure. It's the reason I moved here in 1989, was that energy from industrial. You didn't want this to be a traditional museum. Like, what was the mission statement in your head? What was the ideal when you were thinking this up? Well, when you say what was the mission statement, you're implying that there was a plan. (laughs) I mean, and there just wasn't. But there was Martin's DIY attitude which has driven him as a musician, artist, set designer, teacher, and author. During COVID, he was looking at his collection of memorabilia and knew now was the time to preserve it. The only way he knew how. We didn't ask for permission. I'm like, oh my goodness, that sounds very punk. You know, oh my goodness, I, I am living the words we used to say. You know what else is punk? Where Martin put the museum. It used to be a funeral home. If you like industrial and funerals, yeah. And a lot of people like industrial. Using rock music with electronic rhythms and a mechanical sound, it took root in Chicago in the 1980s. It's what brought Martin to the Windy City, thanks to the influential early record label, Wax Tracks. I wanted my band Pigface to be on Wax Tracks. I came to Chicago to work with Ministry on the Cage Tour and sat in a studio and then hung out with Albini and had Jesus Lizard do their second ever show on my roof. Like, what the It was like 1976 London. Energy in Chicago then was so special. Weather was still horrible, but, but the energy was huge. Despite the weather, the scene that Wax Tracks helped foster started attracting people who would make Chicago and industrial music synonymous. So many people uh, were magnetized here. Nesh from KMFDM, you know, uh, people were just drawn to that. So once you create this magnet, and then Front 242 and, and all of these other people, Frontline Assembly, Skinny Puppy, all these people are coming here. You throw in Cabaret Metro and this support system and it's exponential. It was a collection of like-minded weirdos that included a young Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. To be the only person somewhere that looks a certain way or has a certain idea, that's difficult. I think Trent grew up in the middle of Pennsylvania somewhere. You know, the north of England was difficult to be a punk, you know, when I grew up and moved to London. And I was fortunate enough to see it as an outsider, to see it having experienced punk and post-punk in London. 
I was I I recognized awesomeness and adrenaline and creativity, and so I'm like, well, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to move into the middle of it. And Chicago was the perfect place for an industrial music museum alongside its close sibling. Martin, with his connections to several seminal bands, was the right person to get it off the ground. It wasn't a crusade. I wasn't keeping stuff to put in a museum. I just kept everything. And I could have put that just on display, but that would have been the museum of Martin Atkins. My mom might have liked that, but how sad, how sad would that have been? And thanks to a little help, Martin has amassed quite the collection. I want to say there's 3,000 pieces in the building, maybe six or seven. How many pieces are these of, of the museum is from your personal collection? A year ago, 98%. Okay. Now, and the thing I love about it, now we're at about 60%. The Museum of Post-Punk and Industrial Music might not be the largest space, but it's crammed floor to ceiling with concert scenery, pictures, t-shirts, tour posters, platinum records, stickers, buttons, and so much more. Major bands of the era receive their own mini shrines. Downstairs, there's a recording studio where you can remix one of Pigface's songs and take home a cassette copy of your own personal version. There are also a few contributions from fans that surprised even Martin. The bongos over there, the Paul Raven's bongos, he's, he's been gone 14 years now. But somebody said to me, oh, I've got Killing Joke's bongos. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, there aren't any, you know? And I want to send an email that says, nice try, F you. But I'm learning at last to dial it down a bit. So my response was, "Mm, really, tell me more. It's like, well, Paul Raven used to come to the house and these were his bongos. He picked them up and played these bongos and put his stickers on them and tell stories. I'm like, oh my goodness, please send them to me. So all of these... All of these items start to reverberate for me. It's, it's like when you listen to a song that was important to you, your memory kicks off. This place triggers these memories for people and puts them in that loop. That person being triggered by those memories? That's me. I grew up with industrial and post-punk music. Nine Inch Nails and Joy Division are two of my favorite bands. So I was in the loop when Martin decided to take me over to one of his favorite objects. I want to show you this for so many reasons. This is is an album. Sandpaper. Uh, You can also do your nails here at the museum. Um, This is a band called Durity Column on Factory Records in 1980. So the legend has it that members of Joy Division were drunk at the factory records office, gluing sandpaper to these albums. And the idea is, it's so punk. You put it into your collection, take it out, put it in, uh, ow, (laughs) take it out, right? And it slowly destroys the album to the left and the right. And I'm like, oh, this is so punk. It's so passive aggressive. It's like Neil Young, Rust Never Sleeps, right? We're destroying your entire collection. A musical nod to Guy Debord's memories. 
Martin has a knack for turning the mundane into the memorable. Well, some members of large bands would like, oh, I've lost my pass. No, you didn't. You gave it to somebody because we wouldn't give you any more guest lists. So you'd have everybody sign for their passes. So you've got this insane bureaucracy within a crazy band with no restrictions except you have to sign for your passes on a Tuesday. And so thank goodness Jolly Roger had people sign. Now I've got this 35 signatures on this one page. So instead of railing against that bureaucracy, I'm like, fantastic. I have a signature wall now. Yeah. All of these pieces Atkins worked to collect and preserve. And he wondered, how do you go about sharing it? He knew he didn't want it to be a traditional museum. These throbbing gristle buttons from 1976 are so rare, signed pieces, lots of pieces from people who aren't with us anymore. But instead of closing the doors and protecting the stuff, the way to protect the vibe is to let people in. So we did pop-up haircuts. You know, so there's hair all over the floor, which is not museum uh, 101. We did a whiskey pancake brunch for people to sit and like, never mind the museum. What about, you want some more pancakes? Mm -hmm. So, and then you you kind of stumble into what I like about punk and post-punk and industrial music, which is this doing things differently, rolling up your sleeves and making things happen and involving the audience in it. And if there was going to be a museum, it was gonna be a group effort. And early signs showed that support was there. Very quickly, 100, 200 people, like, yes, we're in. And that keeps happening. 18 months in, it's still happening. And now 1,200 people are founders of the museum. But before this room existed, that's a leap of faith. That's trust. That's community. It's all the things that, you know, better than a 10-page agreement will make anybody, especially me, put 10 times the effort in than I, than I would if I was being forced to do something. So when the community does that, it's like, oh, that's great. It's an entirely DIY undertaking. We haven't received a cent from the city of Chicago. That will come later. Um, but we just made this happen, which is a very different conversation than waiting for permission from people who will want to then go suggest no pancakes, no haircuts. Martin sees the museum not just as a celebration of music, but a celebration of a city that helped make that music possible, welcoming everyone to put their signature on a wall that's traditionally been defined as hands-off, making a gallery space more democratic, less precious. In a lot of ways, that's what Chicago is all about. This is Chicago, that's why I'm here. When you're here, the community comes together and and lifts everybody up. It's a, it's a roll up your sleeves thing. And everybody's helping each other, you know? That's Chicago. And that is Martin Atkins, a one-of-a-kind Chicagoan who invites you to go to his museum and get your hands dirty. This enables us to talk to people about creativity. If you're trying to come up with an idea, you'll never come up with an idea. I like to tell people, come here, eat all the crayons, and just see what you out. And of course, you can bleep the hell out of that. To find out how you can visit the Museum of Post-Punk and Industrial Music, find details at martinatkins.com. For Sense of Place Chicago, I'm Kaleo. This is World Cafe. Cafe.